This is Nerve Radio. You're listening to the Ultimate Sports Podcast. Your one-stop shop for all your sporting news and discussion. Welcome back to the Ultimate Sports Podcast, your weekly dose of sporting news. Toby Foster joins myself, Sam Machen, and today we welcome back Adam McGrawty. How are you doing, boys? Hello, guys. Thanks for having me back on. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Very good to be back as well, and good to be talking sport. And that is exactly what we're going to be talking, plenty of sport. We're going into the boxing, obviously. Adam is a boxing expert himself. He's host of the Undisputed podcast and a deputy editor of Nerve Sport. So we're going to talk all about Canelo Alvarez's fight, Fury AJ, Fury's brother Tommy getting into some beef and some other heavyweight fights before we look at plenty of controversies. It always seems to be when we cover the horse racing, the darts with Q School and the FA Cup of Darts tournament coming up and golfing news as well. So boxing, let's start with the big breaking news, if should we call it, of the day. Bob Arum has come out and said that Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua is finally a done deal. Adam, what do you make of that? Is it just more talk? Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's it's edging in the right direction. Um, I've seen a lot of interviews with with Eddie Hearn, um, Anthony Joshua's promoter, and, and he's been hinting that look, talks are going in the right way, of course. Um, and, and that's what we want to see. That's something that's positive. We want both fighters to hopefully get out there in the summer. I've seen a lot of talk about a date in June, so um, that is looking quite likely. But of course, because of the pandemic and we can't predict too far into the future, we don't know if we are going to get that fight on our shores here in, in England. Um, of course, we'd love for it to be a packed you know, June summer's evening at Wembley Stadium, 90,000 capacity. Even more when you've got seats along the floor, it could be nearly 100,000 in a packed Wembley. What a spectacle that would be. And for arguably the greatest, biggest fight of all time, deserves a crowd like that. However, in this situation, we could see, of course, money come into the, the, the factor here. We could go off to somewhere like Saudi, where, of course, Anthony Joshua fought Andy Ruiz in that rematch. Um, so, yeah, it's unclear as to where the fight will actually be. But the positive signs are that, look, both these guys, their next fight could be against one another. And that is incredibly exciting and will give... It will give us all a much needed lift. Um, you can imagine the pubs being back around that time. They'd be packed. I, I personally thought Joshua fighting in Saudi, look at look at that as a spectacle. I thought it worked quite well. Um, the time, I believe it was a little bit earlier. I believe the fight was on about 9, 9.30 p.m. UK time. Um, and it, yeah, everyone really bought into it. So I wouldn't be too against it. And I'm sure in these deals there's going to be a rematch clause and all of that so I'm certain we will see these two battle it out under the Wembley Stadium arch in the future but for this first fight I'm not too sure um, and all of that will have to be outlined in the contract negotiations going on now so as you say we could be nearing a date where both fighters have agreed they will fight each other they've agreed and they'll begin their training camps for the fight but there could be finer details such as um you know, the venue, for example. Uh, so, yeah, we could have to wait a while longer for that. But no, certainly it's looking promising. So fingers crossed we're, we're getting there. Absolutely. I mean, we've given plenty of opinions, even you have on this podcast. Well, Adam, where I'd like to see that fight going ahead, how we think it'll go. 
Is there perhaps a change in the tide in predictions at the moment? We've seen videos recently of Tyson Fury looking a bit overweight. Admittedly, he's been there before and he's come back. But perhaps the fact he hasn't for, will it be close to 18 months time June comes around and he's probably not going to get a fight in between now and then? You'd expect it to be announced. Do you think that's a bit of a concern for Fury and perhaps encouraging for Joshua? Yeah, it's it's difficult how you plan this one out because if you're certain a fight is going to take place in June, then there's no time at all for these guys to have a tick-over fight, as it were. Whereas if they both agreed to fight later in the year and they'd penciled in a date at Wembley to be certain that things would be better by allowing more time for it to take place, um, you know, we could eventually see those two guys go on to have another fight in between just to tick over. So ring rust could be a concern for, for Fury, of course, but you mentioned the weight there in that video. And I don't know, most boxers, you might be quite concerned, but Tyson Fury, it's just part of his enigma, you know, part of his phenomenon. Like he is one of a kind. He can look like that and move around the ring like a gazelle at the same time. It's unbelievable how he shifts that weight around the ring. So for his, his weight, I wouldn't be too concerned. And as a Fury fan with his new trainer, Sugar Hill Stewart, and um, Andy Lee in his corner as well, I've got full confidence that they'll have him in, in good shape for, for the fight. And I expect him to come in on, on the heavy side anyway, like he did against Deontay Wilder, and really try and take the fight to Joshua instead of imposing a slick boxing performance. Absolutely. I mean, Joshua, I think, has said himself that he's, it doesn't matter what Fury looks like in his pictures and videos, but he's preparing and training for the best possible version of Fury. You mentioned the fight might be abroad. Toby, just how much of a disappointment would this be to the boxing world if this clash of the Titans, clash of the Brits didn't actually happen on home soil? It would Obviously, it would be a, a massive disappointment, I think, for all British uh, boxing fans not to see it you know we've had such success in recent times at least um, with the heavyweight division in this country and for the pinnacle of that which this fight undoubtedly is certainly of the last decade I would say um, to not be held on British shores uh, would be yeah, a real shame and a real disappointment obviously Adam's just touched on the fact that um, there are certain advantages to it being held in the Middle East which are the time zone uh, thing and perhaps 9.30 or 10 or whenever it is is a more accessible time for a lot of fans than 1 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is that these fighters tend to take to the ring in in England but as I say it is a disappointment and we're seeing this more and more aren't we there's been rumours this week swirling about the Champions League final potentially being exported to New York um, obviously the ML, NFL I should say has become a massive worldwide franchise boxing is already on that path as well so more and more we're seeing sort of the globalisation of sport and the question is uh, what, whose fans are they chasing? Are they chasing TV money? Are they chasing the money of certain governments, uh, you know, who, who want to bring that sort of sport to their shores? You know, is it getting away from the fans and from what the sport was originally about? I suppose these are the questions that boxing and many other sports will be asking themselves. Yeah, absolutely. It would be a shame to see it go abroad, but as I've mentioned there, probably will be at least two if not three fights and you'd expect that by that time they come around we've uh, got the capabilities to host such events over here and perhaps that would make the uh, rematch all the better 
mention uh, Fury, the Fury family a bit more uh, in a bit. But we're going to move on to Canelo Alvarez now, the undisputed super middleweight. He beat Anvi uh, Yildirim in the third round. He sat out on the corner as he threw in the towel between the third and the fourth round. He's now going to be fighting Billy Joe Saunders. What kind of spectacle will this How How exciting is it? Yeah, this, this would be fantastic. First of all, touching upon Canelo's victory, that moves him to... Uh, 55 victories in, in his boxing career. Just the one defeat, and that one defeat was to Floyd Money Mayweather, the man himself. So um, he's got two draws along the way as well. But yeah, his fight against Yildirim, um, it, Yildirim was a mandatory. There was a lot of criticism I saw or, on that matchup. But as for Canelo, he, he was just fighting the man who was put in front of him quite literally because it was a mandatory. And that was for the WBC belt. And their president, Maurizio Suleiman, has actually had to come out and defend the decision to match the pair up because lots of fans criticised it because it did seem like a bit of a mismatch. Canelo just far too too powerful and by the way I'd just like to add if you haven't seen Canelo's ring walk do go and check that out it was like a Super Bowl halftime show um <laughs> it was like a mini concert in the arena so really really impressive stuff there but um yeah people will criticize uh, the choice of Canelo to fight Yildirim but it's not particularly his his choice because it was a mandatory put in front of him um and he had to get it out the way and now we have this highly anticipated bout on May the 8th with Billy Joe Saunders and People have been eager to see this for some time. Billy Joe Saunders, 30-0, he's undefeated in his professional career. And for Billy Joe, it was a large part of the reason as to why he left Frank Warren's Queensbury promotions um, a few years back to join Eddie Hearn's matchroom because he could get fights like this because of how Hearn works with the likes of Canelo. Um, and now it's his time. He's been wanting this. He's made that promotional shift to make sure he can get these, these fights. And yeah, now, now he's got to prove it. Um, Eddie's given him the opportunity. He's given him the platform. And he needs to be ready for it. Um, a lot of the talk, you know, this has been rumbling on for years now, matching these two up. So it's so exciting to finally be seeing it. But styles make fights. It goes back to that old chestnut. And Billy Joe Saunders is a southpaw. So it could be quite interesting to see how Canelo copes with this unorthodox style, because in my eyes, it's one of these ones where, you know, if you're looking for someone to win by points, you're probably backing Billy Joe to try and put on a boxing clinic here and and outclass Canelo through slick movement um, in his unorthodox style. But if you're looking for a KO, a a powerful knockout, you're surely favouring Canelo in this one. So it could really go either way. Um, But my main concern for Billy Joe was, uh, well, he's had a couple of fights towards the end of 2020. So um, ring rust shouldn't be a big factor. But one of them, if you remember, was on that KSI v Logan Paul card. Billy Joe was chucked on there. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So he's got to keep himself in good condition. Um, And yeah, as I say, this is a fight he's wanted for a long time now. So uh, it's his chance to go out there and perform. Absolutely. I mean, this is going to be a close fight either way like Canelo obviously we saw him fight Callum Smith which is a bit of a better pedigree than his uh, most recent fight which went all the way to unanimous decision in December now you'd expect that Bully Joe Saunders could do better than Callum Smith so yeah as, as I said it's it's one of these where Billy Joe could really pose Canelo problems um because of his style and, and that southpaw stance um so Canelo I find for a lot of 
his opponents is just too powerful, especially against Yildirim, goes straight through them. But at the same time, you look at his defence work. If Billy Joe really does put it on him, you, you'd also fancy Canelo there. So it is a tough, tough ask for, for Billy Joe. But it, as I said, it goes back to that old saying, styles make fights. And that's why people have been begging for this fight for years, because they've matched the two up and said, look, Billy Joe really could be the man here to... Um, to topple Canelo so we'll have to see but my god that would be a huge upset if he does manage to do it absolutely I think it's going to be one of the biggest fights of the year it's a shame that it's happening in, or looks to be happening in the same year that Fury AJ will be because that's certainly going to overshadow it as the heavyweight mm. division always does and uh, speaking of the heavyweight division we've had Parker he fought this weekend just gone on home soil after his it's his comeback fight now. Isn't it? Yeah, Parker, nice win for him. He's um, up to 28 wins now in his career. Just the two defeats, and those two defeats were against Anthony Joshua and Dillian White on UK soil. Um, he, so he beat New Zealand heavyweight rival Junior Faf by a, a unanimous decision. And he hands Fav the first defeat of his pro career. So uh, Fav's record now stands at 19 wins and just that one defeat to Joseph Parker. So, you know, he seems like a likeable guy, Parker, when he's come over here speaking to the media. You kind of want him to do well and bounce back after the defeats in the UK. Um, but at the same time, this was his first fight back in just under a year. So um, I think he fought on the 27th or 29th and there was a fight literally a year before that so um it's good to shake off that ring rust for him um and if he can pick that up with a few more wins along the way as things start to get back to normality again over here if he gets a few more wins under his belt he could be knocking on the door to challenge some of the top heavyweights um in this country and and yeah it'd be great to see parker back in in that bracket for sure yeah, he won uh, 119, 109, 115, 113, 117 to 111 it was scored. Now rumoured to be fighting Derek Chisora, or eventually that's going to be coming up soon. Toby, I know, like me, we, we probably rate Parker quite highly, but this fight perhaps shows that he's perhaps not as good as we thought. I know he has the uh, hindrance of being out of the ring so long, but it, he shouldn't have gone all the way to a points decision, in my opinion, against junior far yeah I, I do wonder whether he's sort of yesterday's man now he obviously had his shot at the world heavyweight title fighting anthony joshua um and didn't get over the line on that occasion and i just wonder if he's sort of destined to join the the likes of chisora and dillian white as just that tier below the world class world heavyweight level you know great fighters in their own right all of them but perhaps not quite on that on that top tier and I do wonder perhaps this is one for Adam actually a question for Adam whether Parker will ever get another go at the world heavyweight title or if his his race in that particular uh category is run yeah absolutely it's got it's going to be tough to really try and imagine that ladder and that path for him to get back to where he was but as I say while you've got Joshua and Fury hopefully engaged in something this year perhaps rematches you know it, it gives him time to build up against the likes of Chisora if he was to win that I'm sure Eddie would have him over again and if he can put on a good performance maybe we could see another fight with White or someone of that ilk if he gets past Povetkin if Povetkin wins we could see Parker v Povetkin so you know there's a lot of possibilities for him and there's a lot of fighters for him to 
for him to beat, that would then make people talk about Joseph Parker once again. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see, but it will certainly take some time. And as you rightly say, Toby, it, it, he'll have to beat some fighters in that bracket below the elite first to really earn his place um, to challenge once again. Time on his side, though, I suppose you have to say, you know, he's still only 29. Yeah. Um, and uh, his, his only two defeats in his professional career, obviously one was that world title fight against Joshua, uh, yeah. and the second was to Dillian, Dillian White. So really not a bad record by any stretch of the imagination, but like you say, maybe just below that world-class level. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned with uh, Joshua and Fury, hopefully engaged for the next few fights, you know, it could give Parker some time while the while the elite ones in that division are, are occupied, you know, to build himself back up and, and to come again. So, yeah, as you rightly say, he's, he's got time. So uh, we'll see what's next for Joseph Parker. And it could well be, as you say, Sam, uh, Derek Chisora. Absolutely. And we'll stick with the heavyweight division now, just to mention uh, Otto Wallen, the Swedish fighter that gave Tyson Fury that nasty cut to the eye a few years back now, come out and beat uh, Dominic, is it Brazil, Lee? Yeah, Brazil. Brazil. And he come out and said afterwards that he wants to fight Tyson Fury again. We're not even going to address those rumours because that's quite simply ridiculous given the scope of the world at the moment. But we will stick with the Furies. Tommy Fury, he fought on the weekend and what was supposed to be Kyle Frampton's card, but he's obviously got an injury, so that's postponed. Card still went ahead. Tommy Fury fought Scott Williams. Someone who has never picked up a win in his career. The, he's come out under some uh, criticism, to say the least, for the choice of opponent in this fight, hasn't he, Adam? Yeah, he has um, lots of jokes being made about, you know, bin men or, or some them roping some randomers off the streets and, and chucking them in with, with Tommy Fury to, to fight him. But... Yeah, I, I think there's an element of protection there, trying to make Tommy look good in front of the cameras and really build him up before they take him on to that next step. So it is hard uh, to see and to get a gauge of really how good he is. Um, but look, he's, he's got the intelligence of, of the Fury family around him in terms of boxing. Um, they'll keep him grounded and hopefully they'll look to be ambitious with Tommy. I know John Fury... Uh, was saying after the fight, he has big, big hopes for Tommy. So hopefully they can follow on a, they can get him on a good path and can get him some more challenging fights in the future. Um, I'm sure you'll get onto it, uh, Jake Paul. It, this looks like, who knows, it could be his next fight. Yeah, exactly. There's, so, there's no better way of improving your integrity as a boxer than yeah. a YouTuber, is there? Well, we'll go into it. Obviously, we started out Tyson Fury after the fight, after Tommy Fury. Knocked him out in the second round of four. Tyson's come out and said, uh, Jake Paul, where are you? Because he's been trying to set up a fight with a pro fighter, an MMA fighter, just about anyone that are except one recently. Jake Paul's come back and said, look, Tommy, I didn't even realise that uh, Tyson had a brother, which is quite ironic given he's the little younger brother of Logan Paul, and saying that he should start calling him out himself. So Tommy Fury does that and he calls him out himself. So now it looks like, something could be made. Is this perhaps a fight that you could easily predict happening given the background of Tommy Fury and the profile in the social media world and the YouTube world with his girlfriend? There is a sense of that, isn't there? Because obviously a lot of Tommy Fury's sort of brand is based around him as a person and his personality. He is a, a reality TV star and he's in that world as well as the boxing world. And, and so far, as, as 
been able to sort of straddle the two and get the best of both worlds quite well. Um, but as I say, and as you've said, this is sort of a descent into the more reality star realm. You know, it's almost combining the two, isn't it? Because these fights with YouTubers are um, as much about entertainment as they are about sport, aren't they? You'd have to say. So it, it will be interesting to see if that goes ahead. But as we know with with the YouTuber fights these days, if it does go ahead, it'll probably be uh, one of the major fights on the card. It'll probably be the most talked about, the most hyped, the most watched and the most bet on just because of the nature of, of boxing at the moment and the nature of YouTube at the moment as well. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But uh, yeah, I, th I think it's a little bit of a shame for Tommy Fury because I think potentially he's got a big career ahead of him uh, and to be sort of doing this kind of thing at this stage in his career, I'm not sure is the best move for him as a sportsman, but perhaps as a reality star it is. So Adam, I want to ask, is this perhaps a brilliant move for Tommy Fury if it does go ahead? Because he's already a big brand. He's already a well-known fighter, reality star, blogger, whatever you want to call it, because of his girlfriend, Love Island, and his brother. Could he become one of the biggest boxers around or perhaps not even have the pedigree of the amount of fights behind him? Um, yeah, I think it all depends mostly on how Tommy Fury views himself, really. Uh, if he's serious about boxing, that is. And the only reason I say that is because he doesn't need the sport. Um, you know, he's built up his brand, as you as you say, through Love Island and the things that he's been on and, and with his girlfriend. And, you know, he's sort of got that and, and he's sorted, basically. So he doesn't need the sport of boxing to to uh, make his brand but at the same time um, he may be very very serious very very ambitious about boxing I I wouldn't say I, I, know, I know of him well enough to make that judgment but I think it's purely down to how he views himself and um, whether he's just in it because he can box a bit and you know he wants to have fights like against Jake Paul or whether he's very serious and wants to go right to the top um, but at the same time you could sort of see this fight with Jake Paul happening because of the way he is, you know, his presence on social media, that influencer style. And as Toby said, it would be huge. You know, in that social media world, this fight would be unbelievably huge. Um, but at the same time, for Tommy Fury's credibility in boxing, what does that do for him if he's then serious about going on? You know, let's say he wins a world title or something and people look back in 20, 30 years and talk about Tommy Fury and they'll say, oh, yeah, that world champion. He had a fight against a YouTuber on his way to glory. You know, it, it just all seems a bit odd. But because of the way he's sort of become known Let's face it, it's not through boxing. It's not just through being Tyson's brother as well. It's it's from Love Island and that status and that profile he's built up on that side. Yeah, I, I wouldn't rule this fight out at all. It's an interesting clash as well, isn't it? Because it's somebody who was, obviously has a famous name, but was famous for boxing and then went into reality versus mm. somebody who was famous for reality and has now gone into boxing. So it's kind of that little clash, isn't it? But as you say, it will be very, very popular if it does happen. Yeah, and, and for, for Jake Paul, from his perspective, if we're talking about Jake Paul as a serious celebrity boxer, if you can imagine that. Um, <laughs> is there such a thing? Well, there is now. He, it, it does him much better fighting. The, yes, he may lose, um, but fighting boxers who earn a lot more respect 
than fighting NBA stars or pop stars or, you know, whatever. Very so, true. So if he is serious, because a lot of people say he has got talent. And if, look, this is something he seriously wants to pursue, um, he will earn a lot more respect fighting. Guys. Like, imagine if he beats Tommy Fury, you know. People won't take Tommy seriously, but Jake Paul's status would go right up. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I think for, for Jake, it's probably a good fight to take, to be honest. Really go and prove yourself. You 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 talk about being a great boxer and everything, but you can't do any more than prove yourself against an actual boxer, you know, when, when you're knocking out NBA stars and stuff. The thing is, if, if he does beat Tommy Fury, then what's separating him from actually being a professional boxer? You know, if, mm. if he is beating professional boxers, then I would argue perhaps he ceases to become a celebrity boxer and becomes more of a, um, a you know, a professional outright. Yeah, well, I think they were granted professional status. Um, I know certainly KSI and Logan were for their their big fight in, um, in America that was done under matrix. They were granted professional licenses for that fight. And I think I'm right in saying Jake Paul and Anison Gibb were also granted the same thing for their fight. So technically, he has a professional boxing win, I believe, to, to his name. So, um, yeah, he's got his license. If, if that's something he wants to pursue, then go for it. The, the way I see it is we all, as boxing fans, and to be honest, even if you're not I'm a boxing fan, most people out there want to see jake paul get knocked out i've been mm. very against seeing a, a proper top name boxer get in the ring with him because i don't feel they've earned the chance to do that there's so many boxers over their career that have all these fights and never even get a sniff so he shouldn't just because he's a celebrity that said tommy fury is on his level you'd probably expect him being the professional boxer that he would be in so let's go for it let's go see tommy fury knock him out and give <laughs> give him a bit more notoriety as well the thing is, you, you say Tommy Fury's on his level. I suppose in a sense he is because they're both perhaps better known now for their reality stuff than they are for their boxing. Um, but it's hard to judge, as Adam said, what level Tommy Fury's really at, isn't it? Because he's thrashed everyone that he's fought, but he hasn't fought anyone of any particular stature. So is this, I suppose, the question I'm asking is, is this fight going to prove anything as far as sort of the boxing purists or people looking at it from a sporting perspective are concerned? Probably not. <laughs> it's a short answer. No, you're right. Um, but you've got to take into account that he's no doubt had the background in the amateurs that Jake Paul doesn't have. So, But it's, again, probably one of those fights that's just a, a nice, easy one for him and it boosts and pampers up that record a bit, which is what he's been doing the whole time. Anyway, we spoke plenty about boxing now. We haven't properly gone into it in a few weeks, so it's uh, nice to have a big catch-up. We're going to go on to the darts now. We'll start with Q School. We've had our podcast favourite, former guest Scott Mitchell, made it through with Raymond Van Barneveld, the likes of DeVos, Danny Baggish. Let's start with those kind of people. Put up a poll on Twitter asking who people are most excited uh, to see. There's a 50-50 split between Scott Mitchell and... Uh, Raymond Van Barneveld. I'm certainly excited to see Scott Mitchell. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be great to see him. And, and he joins quite quite a few other um, former world champions uh, in the in the world tour or the, the um, what's the one I'm looking for? Players tour at the moment. Uh, so that's good to see. 
Um, and he, I think he did okay in the first Super Series events. He had a few difficult draws. I mean, they're all difficult draws these days, such as the level of the quality. But um, he did okay. And I think it's just about getting settled in your first few events and, you know, learning the ropes of the PDC spent so long uh, on the other side of the darts divide. Um, and he Scott spoke a little bit about joining the PDC and his, his ambitions in, in our interview uh, a few months ago, didn't he? And talked about how, you know, this was now his ambition and he wanted to go and, and try the other side. And also that he feels he has to prove himself to all the PDC players because they've all heard of him. They all know who he is but he hasn't proven anything to them. So, and there have been uh, pundits and fans who've suggested that players from the BDO are not good enough to play in the PDC. So he does feel that he has a point to prove uh, and I hope he proves it. Raymond van Barneveld obviously is another person with a point to prove uh, who was written off and unfortunately didn't retire in the best circumstances in his final season uh, before retirement. He um, was relegated from the Premier League um, and also was knocked out in the first round of his final world championship by the American Darren Young. Um, so he's uh, that was a disappointing way for, for Barney to exit the sport. And after a year out, he decided to come back and to have another go. Uh, went to the European Q school and qualified for a tour card and uh, came back with a bang because he won the third Players' Championship event at the Super Series after qualifying for his tour card. Uh, so he's, and that was his first um, PDC ranking title win since 2013. So a major success for him. It does feel like this year away, obviously it's been a turbulent year for everyone, but a year away from the hockey, or at least away from the professional hockey, has done him the power of good. And hopefully we're going to see some vintage Barney at some of these events coming up. Absolutely. I mean, as well, I'm excited to see Danny Baggers, who mentioned his name before the American number one, no doubt can grow the sport a lot over in the States. It's very much in its infancy over there. But Adam, I know you're an avid darts fan. Is there any any of those names excite you to see around the professional circuit a bit more or back? And I, did, I did. I did see the news about uh, Scott Mitchell, and that's just fantastic to see, isn't it? You know, um, the guy who's come on, come on the podcast, and yeah, it, it, it's great to see him doing well. Local guy as well. So um, yeah, Scott Mitchell was the one that jumped out at me. I was going to stick with Q School for the moment and how uh, Robert Thornton and Kevin Painter have yes. both now retired from it. That yes. was a bit of a shock, but was it a long time coming? Yeah, I think the in some ways the, the names of the people who didn't qualify were almost more surprising than the names of the people who did qualify. Fallon uh, Sherrick, another one. Fallon Sherrick, another one. And, and Fallon didn't have a great Q School at all, it must be said. She didn't... Um, get to the final stages, uh, you know, the, the closing rounds, the quarterfinals, semifinals of, of any of the Q school events. So that was a disappointment for Fallon, but she's still young and she's um, going to come back and have another go, I'm sure, another year. There is a, this question as well about these um, World Series events. After Fallon Cherrick's success in the uh, World Championship two years ago, the plan mm. was for her to come back 
uh, and in, during 2020, when darts goes on tour and the top players go and play in America and Australia and various other countries, she was going to appear in these World Series events and they can be quite lucrative for the players as well. Unfortunately, obviously owing to the pandemic, all of that was cancelled. So now we come into 2021 and there's a bit of a question mark uh, because the PDC have control over who they select to play in these events because they're invitationals. So there's a bit of a question mark over whether she's going to come back. Obviously, her success was two years ago now and perhaps other players have uh, preempted her in the forefront of fans' minds about who international fans want to see now. So it'll be interesting to see whether she is picked to come back. But I should just say, uh, Kevin Painter, obviously a, a very illustrious career in the game and reached a world final um, at one point in his career. I think lost to Phil Taylor and had a, a great rivalry with Phil Taylor down the years. He was one of Phil's uh, top rivals and they had uh, at times ill-tempered, but there was, I think for a lot of that rivalry, there was a mutual respect of each other's abilities. Uh, and he had to go at Q school um, and unfortunately didn't qualify. So he's now made the decision to retire from the game. And Robert Thornton is the other one, former UK Open winner and actually represented Scotland in this year's World Cup, or sorry, last year's World Cup of darts. Um, but he slipped down the rankings, unfortunately, and had to go back to Q school. So he lost his Q card at the back end, uh, sorry, tour card at the back end of last season. Um, and hasn't managed to qualify. So I don't think we've had any statement from Robert Thornton about retirement, though. So it may well be that he takes a year out and comes back next year and tries to have another go. OK, maybe I got that wrong with that one. But yeah, Painter definitely going. Um, Cherrick was an interesting one because she actually beat Scott Mitchell on one of the days. Scott Mitchell, I'm just going to go into how he qualified. So I think it's an interesting story. He basically wasn't performing well at all the whole tournament. He left it to the last day where I think he had to win five uh, games on the spin. He won six, got into the final with Danny Baggish and then beat him. So he he done it in emphatic style, didn't he? Yeah, a really, really impressive um, from Scott. And he, he pulled it out of the bag at the end. And uh, I think even some people who perhaps had sort of the naysayers about Scott's abilities were forced to shut up, I think, on that occasion because he, he totally uh, blew the competition away. And, yeah, it's great to see him getting a chance to really have a go in the PDC. And we've seen, obviously, other BDO players come over and have success in the PDC, um, Classic example being Raymond Van Barneveld winning the World Championship and also Glenn Durant winning the Premier League last year. Stephen Bunting is another example. Got to the World Championship semi-finals this year. So there is, you know, it's, it's not uh, as big a step up for some players as it may seem. So I think, you know, Scott can look at those players and see that perhaps there's optimism for him to go far in events as well. But he's got two years now on his tour card, so we'll have to watch and wait and see how he does. Exactly, and you hinted at the, the Super Series there. Going Price obviously pulled out with an ear infection partway through it, but we're going to talk about his World Cup teammate in the ferret, Johnny Clayton. He was on fire. Absolutely exceptional from Clayton, yeah. Um, four semi-finals across the four events, uh, made the final twice and won one, sorry, was it two of the events he won or one? I think it was one he won. One. Um, but just incredible uh, performance and really vindicated the PDC's decision to select him over higher ranked players um, to compete in the Premier League this season. He's the form player in darts at the moment. And it's just great to see because he's a great bloke, uh, still works in his regular job. 
um, and just continues um, at the moment to be blowing the competition away. It's, it's great to see Johnny Clayton doing that. And I look forward to seeing him in the Premier League. I think he's going to give some Premier League players something to think about, uh, definitely. And also, yeah. just, just to note as well, I think I told you this stat, Sam, off air a, a while ago because I was amazed by it. Over the four days of the Super Series events, um, none of the players in the top 15 in the world reached any of the finals over the course of the four days, which is just absolutely extraordinary. But it just shows the level of quality and the depth of quality that there is now in the PDC. Yeah, his good mate Joe Cullen won one of them. Is it Callum? Reeds or rides? I'm not. I've, it wasn't a name I recognised that beat Clayton in one of the other finals. And obviously yeah, Van he's, he's new, well. up and coming young player. Cal, right. I think it's rides. I might be wrong. Yeah, that, that looks right. Um, so yeah, they won. <laughs> um, Clayton, though, we're looking forwards now to what you've dubbed, what the Darts World dubs the FA Cup of Darts. Now you'd like to think that Johnny Clayton would be a pretty good pick with the form he's on. 12 to 1 currently. I think so, yeah. I think he's very backable. Michael Van Gerwen, the reigning champion in this one, but didn't have a good Super Series, suffered a couple of shock defeats, including to the teenager Lewis Williams at one point. So he is bang out of form, as, as has been the case for quite some time now, for quite a few months. So I'm not sure that there'll be too many people uh, eagerly backing MVG for this one. Uh, although as reigning champ, you know, he, he always has the tendency to pull things out of the bag. So you never know uh, with MVG. Um, but and Peter Wright, not in the best of form either. And that's shown in the in the Super Series, too. So I definitely think Johnny Clayton is the one to watch. Uh, going price as well. Obviously, the ear infection uh, was not helping him during the Super Series, but he did perform well in the Masters in January. So definitely can't be written off as the, as the new world number one. Uh, and Nathan Aspinall as well. I always like to mention him. And he won this tournament, I think it's three years ago now he won this tournament. Uh, or it might be, I think it might be two. I think it's it's two or three years ago, but either way, I think it is two. But he's shown that he can win this tournament and he can perform well on, on one individual day. And that's the thing about this major. It's not over the course of a week, like the match play or over the course of a month, like the um, world championship It's over the course of a long weekend over the course of three days. And on the Sunday, you play the quarterfinal, the semifinal and the final all in the same day. So it's about endurance as much as quality. Yeah. MVG still favorite that five to one. I think I agree with you, Toby, a bad pick. Price seven to one, right ten to one again in that form. Another one that you haven't mentioned, which I think uh, is probably a good shout as well, is one of the Super Series winners in Joe Cullen. He's eighteen to one as well. Obviously, very good mates from Clayton. Adam, obviously, I know you watch plenty of the darts over the Christmas period. Was there perhaps any players in the World Championships that caught your eye that you like the look of going forward? Oh, well, going back to it, I do want to, because I don't think I've had the chance to say since, Gerwin Price, of course, his win. I, Toby knows, of course, the year before, I wasn't his biggest fan. He's, he's a bit like Marmite, isn't he? His antics, you, some love it, some hate it. But um, no, credit to him. I, I was actually getting quite worried for him when he started missing those <laughs> those yeah. shots when he had the uh, the, the chance the to win. To win. But, um, yeah, in a way, I was yeah, I was pleased to see him win. Um, I was pleased to see him win it, but 
Yeah, he, he was the one who impressed me, to be honest, because I, I sort of went into that tournament with, with an opinion on him. I, I was a big um, Snakebite fan last year. I wanted him to beat, um, to beat Price. So this year when Snakebite was knocked out of it, Rob Cross, another one I like, he, he was out of it. So um, it was quite nice to see him win it, to be honest. Another one of our favourites I'm going to put forward as well, Toby, probably guess Mervyn King. Can oh, he yes. finally do it? Oh, I, I certainly hope so. I think of, of all the players, I mean, Michael Smith's long overdue a major, but certainly Merv is long overdue winning a major. Didn't have the most electrifying super series in the world, but obviously uh, Players' Championship in November, or was it start of December, he, he won. Oh, sorry, he didn't win. He got to the final of and was beaten by Clayton. Um no, sorry, he was beaten by MVG. He was beaten by Clayton in the Masters final. He's made two consecutive big finals in, on TV and hasn't won either of them. So really overdue a big win. And I just think that would be great to see for Merv playing some of the darts of his career at the moment. But I'm not sure what his odds are, Sam. I'm, I think probably looking at 33 to 1 or more for him, I'd guess. Yeah, I'll just get them up now. <laughs> yeah, his odds do put him as a bit of an outsider. Did you say around 30 to 1, Toby? I thought 33 to 1, maybe. Double that, 66 to wow. 1 for Mervyn King, which I think is very good odds still for a winner. I mean, just having a look at our old favourite, we'll see how far Scott Mitchell is down on the rankings. 300 to 1. I mean, you wouldn't expect him to win it, but I'd, I'd like to see him do well, of course. Yeah, and also worth bearing in mind when Nathan Aspinall won it two years ago, he was 80 to 1. So these kinds of things can happen. And considering how the big players are at form, it, it could play well into the favour of one of them. But let's stick with the darts and move from the PDC to the BDO now. Had plenty of controversy that we've gone over before, even with Scott Mitchell himself. But let's look at it. There's been a, more controversy with this trophy. Obviously, Wayne Warren held it from the last winner. The chairman, I think, of the BDO, there's Jacqueline, decided he wanted to seize it. There's been an ongoing police investigation. I think there's Jacqueline had to then travel nine hours to go get it. This story just seems really, really ridiculous from Des Jacqueline, considering he's essentially been at the helm when the BDOs ran into ground. You think they'd let the, the last winner keep the trophy, especially if someone only got 23000 of a £100,000 prize pot. Yeah, it's, the BDO has had no end of problems with how uh, it's it's sort of ending and ceased operations um, as as a professional darts body in 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 the recent last few years, and there's been ongoing issues and crises and things like that, and it's just um, struggled. I think ever since the move away from Lakeside, I think that was the the real turning point, as um, as I think Scott Mitchell told us in his interview. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see um, what happens with this trophy and seizing this trophy. I'm not sure who's going to be entitled to it, whether it's property of the BDO, whether Wayne Warren's got a claim for it. But, yeah, it's all, all a bit of a mess, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, there's been a crowdfunding campaign that has been set up by fans to get Wayne Warren a new trophy. Um, I think the, the last time I checked, it had already smashed half of its target in a few days. Travelling nine hours to try and retrieve a trophy, is, is that really essential travel, do you reckon? <laughs> well, uh, I guess you want the trophy, don't you? But no, <laughs> it's not not um, essential. What what happened to postage? <laughs> it might be quite a big Get thing. Get Mervyn King on it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Amazon delivery driver. He could. Yeah. Is he, is he still doing that? I can't imagine he is now with the amount of finals and championships he's had recently. He must be no, like I think an extended break. Some, some good paychecks from those two finals, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that he's he's doing that. Yeah. Right. Anyway, we'll uh, press him for time here. So we'll move on to the horse racing. Let's start with Tiger Roll. He's been told he cannot... Well, he's not been told at all because if he's a person, his trainers and owner have been told he cannot compete because of an unfair weight allowance. Toby, horse racing expert on this podcast, what do you make of this story? Well, it's an interesting one, Sam. I, I put out a tweet last week, actually, when Tiger Roll had his prep run for Cheltenham, uh, which was a, a hurdle race, and um, he finished last of the six runners and just looked very lethargic and didn't look particularly interested um, and just looked past his best, to be honest, you know, and, and I said in my tweet that, you know, he'd given so much to the sport, uh, obviously winner of two grand nationals and, you know, an incredible horse that uh, it, it would be nice to just see him retired and able to live out his days happily rather than continuing to race him when he, he really doesn't seem uh, you know the full the full ticket anymore as a, as a horse as a racehorse. So that was disappointing um, that the owner chose and the and the trainer chose to continue along with him uh, mm. and continue him being entered in the Cheltenham Festival and in the Grand National. But their efforts to get his weight grading down were not successful, and the handicapper awarded him a weight of eleven stone nine to carry in the Grand National, which is just one pound off top weight, which is currently held by Bristol Demai, eleven stone ten. Um, so the owners, uh, Michael O'Leary and the trainer, were not happy with this at all, and they have taken the decision to pull him out of the race at the forfeit stage. So he will no longer be participating in the Grand National, which probably means, considering his age, that we've seen the last of Tiger Roll in a Grand National. There will be no third Grand National, no emulation of red rum. And his last race, it's looking like, although it's all very uncertain at the moment, his last race is looking like it might be the cross-country chase in a couple of weeks' time at the Cheltenham Festival, and that might be it for Tiger Roll. Yeah, the Cheltenham Festival, we will, of course, bring a preview for probably next week. But let's go to the trainer of Tiger Roll. Gordon Elliott has been temporarily banned from racing in Britain, and an investigation is being undertaken by the Irish horse racing regulatory body that's a bit of a mouthful after he was pictured or a picture certainly come out circulating online of him sitting on a horse just got a bit of a statement from Gordon Elliott here who said it was indefensible it was a moment of madness that I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life paying for and that my staff were suffering for he does add that it was some time ago and he'd done it without thinking but Adam purely from a PR perspective is this something you can even expect to continue doing that kind of job with? No, it's certainly not a good look for the sport, is it? Um, I've, I've seen, you know, I'm not the biggest horse racing fan at all, but I've seen a lot of it just by watching the news. Um, so I've certainly seen the story and I'm sure Toby can can agree with me that that for the sport as a whole, this hasn't done it any favours um, any favors at all. Would you, would you agree with that, Toby? Absolutely. I know I, I just my response to this and my reaction to this was just 
absolute astonishment and, and disgust when I saw this picture. Um, it's it's shameful. I think it's brought shame upon the entire sport and upon the people that work in the sport because there are a lot of um, very caring, uh, you know, animal lovers who work in this sport and treat the racehorses uh, very well. You know, better better than children. Sometimes they they treat them just so so kindly, uh, and to see this kind of thing taking place at a major yard in Ireland. You know, Gordon Elliott is not a small-time trainer. He's one of the biggest trainers in the sport. Um, just really saddening and shocking. And, you know, it has been suggested that it was a one-off incident, but also questions have been raised by, you know, some senior racing broadcasters about what kind of culture is going on at Gordon Elliott's yard that he that it was felt acceptable for a member of staff we presume to take a picture of him in this pose doing what he was doing um and and what that says about his attitude towards the sport so i certainly think uh, the bha and and the the irish horse racing authority are going i think we're going to come down on this pretty hard and there will be some sort of sanction whether in the form of a fine or in the form of a um a ban from the sport for a period of time uh, but we'll have to wait and see what what that ends up being but yeah just really really saddening and shocking and obviously a hammer blow to the perception of the sport as well just at the time when we're coming up to the sport's two major shop window events which are the grand national and the jumping festival the biggest events for the sport and the ones that a lot of casual viewers watch it's the worst possible time if, if you know if there was there was never a good time for anything like this to happen but for this to happen right before the eyes of the world are about to watch racing it's just a, a dreadful situation to be in uh, and I hope that it gets sorted out and that we see due punishment meted out that can go some way to restoring some of racing's reputation but this is incredibly damaging let's make no mistake about it yeah, it's a dark day for not just horse racing, horse racing, but sport in the UK and Ireland alone. It does. I know you mentioned there it was a one-off, but it, it's one times too many, isn't it? And it's and from dark days in horse racing, we are looking to brighter days going forwards. As the Olympics has confirmed that they are actually going to happen this year. A year late, but here we are. Yes, this is um, according to Martin Lipton, the reporter, um, and he says that Team GB athletes hoping to compete in the Tokyo Olympics have been told the Games will go ahead this summer. Uh, the British Olympic Association chief, Andy Anson, uh, shared the latest information in a video call with about 270 athletes. Uh, and it's drawing on the latest information from Japan and the IOC, and they've eased some worries relating to the COVID issues. So it looks as if Japan are prepared to put this event on this year. The only caveat to that is that it may well be either in front of no fans or only in front of domestic Japanese fans. It looks very unlikely at this stage that there's going to be any foreign travel barring the athletes there aren't going to be any fans coming in to watch these events and, and cheer their countrymen on so that's a bit of a shame but I think totally understandable in the circumstances I mean we're lucky we're in a situation because when a poorer country such as Brazil gets the Olympics they pour so much money into it with the hopes that you're going to get loads of money back from the ticket sales and tourism and whatnot perhaps lucky that it's gone to a developed country a nation like Japan where they don't necessarily need that 
Yeah, I suppose so as well. And and you'd assume that a lot of the work was done in preparation for 2020. So um, it's just about delaying it for the year and hopefully everything is in place and all of the logistics are all in place too to have a good and, and safe games. And it's what the people want to see. You know, the Olympics is a worldwide event. Um, so yeah, it, it will give the whole world a lift you'd hope and give them something else to be focused on other than the pandemic. So um, yeah, let, let's hope it can go ahead. And some serious news this week was some borderline horrifying image we've seen from a car crash involving Tiger Woods this week. We saw this um, breaking on Friday night that Tiger Woods uh, was involved in a very serious car crash, as you said. Uh, and the 15-time major winner uh, suffered significant injuries, which included open fractures to his tibia and fibula. Um, and he had to have a metal rod inserted in his tibia. Uh, in a major operation. He was already recovering from a fifth bout of surgery on his back uh, and it was a, a high-speed crash early in the morning when he was driving to a country club to film uh, around with a couple of NFL quarterbacks uh, as part of a TV show. Um, but uh, he careered off a winding road into a hillside uh, and one police officer said he was lucky to be alive, but they have said it was a total accident, purely an accident, and there was no evidence of any impairment whatsoever. He wasn't under the influence of anything. Um, but we wish him well, and hopefully he can recover back to um, a, a standard where he can play and hopefully recover to full mobility again. But we have just briefly had some comments from Rory McElroy on this as well, uh, who has... Uh, I think spoken quite well about this. He said he's not Superman. He's a human being. He's already been through so much. I think at this stage, everyone should just be grateful he's alive and that his kids haven't lost their dad. That's the most important thing. Golf is so far from the equation right now. He's got some pretty bad injuries, but he's going to be okay. We might be seeing the end of a genius at work with a club in his hand, but there are still a lot of other ways he can affect the game. So perhaps quite sombre in some senses from Rory McIlroy, but also perhaps a note to the future as well, that this is not the, the end of Tiger Woods' career necessarily in golf. Just note quickly that we will be back with the Six Nations in the cricket next week. Been pressure time. Speaking of which, we're going to move into our first segment. The Sporting Question. Yes, and it's just one between you this week, the Sporting Question, and it concerns the European Championships for football, because as we record this today, it's 100 days until the European Championships okay. uh, take place. Uh, so your question is, and I think Adam's going to fire away first on this one, and, and then we'll come to you, Sam. Mm -hmm. The question is, which of these countries has never hosted a European Championship match? Is it Portugal, Belgium, Greece or Sweden? Over to you, Adam. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Portugal, Belgium, Greece or Sweden? Um, I really do not have any idea. Um, I'm going to go with Belgium. Belgium for Adam. And what about you, Sam? What do you think? I was going to go Belgium as well. Um <laughs> But I'll switch it up and I'll go with oh, Greece. Well, I can tell you that 
we have a shock on the cards because it's Greece, and that means that oh, Sam right. has yes. got one correct. <laughs> I feel like we should smash a plate in celebration, but I don't have any Absolutely. Well done, Sam. It was Greece. Uh, Portugal hosted it in 2004, Belgium hosted it in 2000, and Sweden in 1992. Well, over the moon. Right, anyway, we'll move into the next <laughs> segment now. A niche sport from around the world. I'll power through it quickly. This one stays on topic it's football related as well it's called cycle ball essentially two teams are playing football on bikes but there's no brakes on the bikes and you can only use the bike to ball to hit the ball or your head first started in 1893 uh, and was adapted to play all over it's played in austria belgium i think asia they like it there's a whole host country very energetic sport as i'm sure all cycling sports are that we shall go into our highlights of the week. Mine was Canelo Alvarez's win in the boxing purely because it's so rare that you get an opponent throwing a towel in between rounds. Or Adam, what was yours? I'm sticking with Canelo, but I'm focusing on the ring walk, as I said. Um, absolutely incredible spectacle. Do go and make sure you check it out if you haven't seen it already. And mine has got to be Raymond Van Barneveld coming back and winning his first um, PDC tournament in eight years, um, ranking tournament in the darts. A fantastic return of a legend of the game. Well, thank you very much, chats. We've just about managed to squeeze that in at the end there. We'll be back next week with a Cheltenham preview, the cricket, the rugby, uh, probably some more boxing as well. We'll see what else comes up in the week. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Please follow us on any streaming services you use to listen to podcasts and follow us on social media. Twitter is at Ultimate Sport P and Instagram is The Ultimate Sports Podcast so you don't miss any future sports news or guest episodes. And we'll see you next time.